Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, stories in the news about everything from child predators to pushers targeting kids with rainbow fentanyl are enough to send chills down any parent's spine. We have tips to keep trick-or-treat fun and safe for everyone. Also this morning, celebrating Halloween at the office may sound like a fun idea, but it can lead to a nightmare scenario for your company's legal department, we'll explain. In our Throwback Thursday segment this morning, Ghostland, the haunted history of a country that loves a good ghost story. And the month of November is a good time to give thanks for our beautiful outdoor spaces with the Hancock Park District. Michelle Rumschlag will tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, October 27th, 2022. If you need a reason to celebrate today, we've got it. It is American Beer Day. American Beer Day. I think we just stop right there. That's all we need. But there's more. It is Boxer Shorts Day. So even better, you can have your American beer in your boxer shorts. (laughs) Channel your inner Homer Simpson today. Uh, Cranky Coworkers Day. I think we all know someone who falls into that category. National Potato Day. It is Occupational Therapy Day. And it is Navy Day today. So, big salute uh, to all the sailors of the world. Navy Day. So, uh, Halloween right around the corner, and this is just a weird story. I don't know if you uh, saw this. I actually heard a little bit about this yesterday morning, and so I had to go and uh, search out uh, a little more information about this uh, lady by the name of Rosie Grant. She is a librarian, and she has uh, become something of a viral celebrity on TikTok uh, for the recipes that she finds on gravestones. I'm sorry, what now? Yeah. Uh, Her TikTok handle is at Ghostly Archive. And uh, she's not a professional baker. She's a librarian. She's not a professional baker. As a matter of fact, uh, she is new to the idea of baking. But uh, luckily, her followers give her free advice on how to follow the recipes that she finds on gravestones. Have you ever seen a recipe on a gravestone? I, I have to admit, that was a new one on me. But apparently, this is something that some people do. They put recipes on their gravestones or at least uh, a list of ingredients. She said many of the recipes she finds on gravestones... Uh, include the the ingredients, but no steps on how to combine and bake them. So she kind of makes it up as she goes along, along with the uh, advice from her followers on TikTok. Um, she said the most challenging recipe that she has made thus far is a recipe for spritz cookies. Okay. Uh, People were recommending different ways to make the cookies, so I read through all of the comments to understand how to make the cookies correctly, and uh, I made it again and again. It's one of my favorites, but it was one of the most uh, complicated ones uh, at the beginning. As her TikTok account uh, gains traction, fans have begun sending her photos of gravestone recipes they have found for her to try. So, this is a uh, big thing, apparently. I, I... Again, I have never seen that myself, uh, anybody with a uh, recipe on a gravestone, but apparently that is a thing. So, who knew? Kind of crazy. Um, speaking of uh, Halloween and the approaching holidays, you know, we'd get past uh, Monday and it's a straight shot into Thanksgiving and before you know it, Christmas is going to be here. And then New Year's, we'll be turning our attention to our New Year's resolutions. It seems that many people, uh, with the chance for a fresh start in the new year, are ready to cut ties in their relationships. Uh, That is what the love experts at HerNorm.com say. They have determined which states have the most people looking for a fresh start. Uh, According... According to this, romantically, according to this site, which poured over Google results to questions like how to break up, 
people who live in Alaska, Florida, I, two extremes there, Alaska, Florida, Iowa, and Rhode Island, the states most likely to pull the trigger right around Thanksgiving and break up with somebody. Uh, why wait until the new year? Uh, just cut the, cut the ties now, pull the mandate off, and get it over with. Um, so Alaska, Florida, Iowa, Rhode Island, the state's most likely to pull the plug on a relationship around Thanksgiving. Uh, those in Arizona, Kentucky, and Utah want to be single just before Christmas, which makes sense. If you're going to break, break up with somebody in the new year, why wait until after Christmas? I mean, number one, you save yourself money buying a gift for someone that you're going to break up with anyway, and you'll save them the money of buying you a gift when you're going to break up with them. I mean, that's just, that seems like the right thing to do to me. Um, Overall, though, the website did notice that January was the most common month for Americans to break up. Maybe it's the New Year, New Me thing. Um, Among those who are turning to Google to help them cut their ties during the month of January, people in Alabama, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Missouri, North Carolina, Ohio, Oklahoma, and West Virginia. So if you are in a relationship and you make it and you make it past January, uh, it sounds as though you are good to go for the rest of the year. That's that's the critical month in this state. Anyway, you make it past January and you should be good. All right. <clears throat> Some of the other most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Uh, speaking of relationships, what happens next? You have a relationship. You eventually get married. You start a family. As parents nationwide may have already known, a recent study from Charles University, well, it was actually a joint study, Charles University in Prague and Columbia University in New York, a recent joint study found that having a boy may age your brain faster. Boys age parents' brains faster than do girls. And this was no small study. They gathered data from more than 30,000 people over the age of 50 and their spouses. So you had 30,000 people and their spouses. So some, and I'm assuming that there were a few single parents in there. So I'm guessing, what, fifty to 60,000 people in the study and parents uh, performed cognitive tests which assessed mental skills like memory and understanding. And results showed that parents of sons had a faster rate of cognitive decline than the parents of daughters. Um, and by the way, mothers of sons, so moms who have boys, also tended to weigh more on average. The downturn of mental abilities was faster if parents had more than one son. So, I don't know what that says about me. We have two boys. <laughs> so, if you've ever wondered why I'm a blithering idiot sometimes, because I have two boys. And because I have two sons. That sounds like a, as good an excuse as any. Uh, let's see. Speaking of, uh, research, this is another one of those, uh, research, uh, items here. One of those things that make you go, hmm, uh, it is research out of the Ohio State University. And this is, uh, the latest pandemic story. As we get past the pandemic and we sort of analyze the effects of what happened, Over the course of the past couple of years, research from the Ohio State University shows that people who believed conspiracy theories related to the pandemic were also more likely to believe in other conspiracies as well. The data suggests that uh, financial uh, distress during lockdown is linked to a belief in COVID conspiracy theories. Hmm. Even among those who did not previously believe in conspiracies. So even if you are not predisposed to be a conspiracy theorist, but you bought into some of the COVID stuff, uh, you are more likely to have suffered financial distress. Or is it the other way around? This is what I wonder. Uh, Were people who 
underwent some sort of financial distress as a result of the pandemic more likely to believe the conspiracies that went along with the pandemic. I would have to think that there was a fair amount of that going on. The author of the study noted that uh, Internet forums show people tend to go down a rabbit hole after something happens in their own lives. With COVID-19, there was this large event that people could not control. So in order to make sense of it, one way of making sense of it was by adhering to conspiracy theories. Uh, Once people adopt one conspiracy belief, it promotes distrust in institutions more generally, and one becomes more susceptible to believing all of those other conspiracy uh, theories as well. So kind of an interesting uh, study there. The Ohio State University. And how about this? Because we have to have something to be worried about every day. This is what we... Uh, are concerned about this is what we are fearful of today are you ready here we go researchers researchers in australia say that there is a one percent chance that a huge storm in outer space could cause an internet outage here on earth within the next decade such an event has been mapped for the first time um using tree rings of all things which i don't know exactly how this works but it says old trees and their rings can help document cosmic radiation and provide snapshots of earth's past okay if you say so and uh, these huge bursts of cosmic radiation known as miyaki events have occurred approximately once every thousand years what causes them is unclear but we know that they occur at thousand-year intervals. This is according to Dr. Benjamin Pope, as a researcher in Australia, and uh, he says a Miyake event could cut off power, could disrupt phone networks, cellular networks, and yes, even knock us offline en masse. It could wipe out or disrupt, at least, the Internet. So there you go. Uh, does not... Say exactly when, only within the next 10 years. But there you go. That is what we are afraid of today. A big cosmic storm that could wipe out the Internet. I don't know. On the other hand, is that something we are worried about or is that something we are looking forward to? (laughs) In in one respect, you can make an argument either way. But there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, it'll be mostly sunny today, a high of 52, partly cloudy tonight, a low of 37. It's almost trick-or-treat time, and while most area communities are holding it on Saturday, some are holding it on other nights. Lieutenant Mark Price with the Hancock County Sheriff's Office says trick-or-treaters need to be very careful while crossing roads, and drivers need to watch out for them. And he says kids need to be patient before eating that candy. As always, have an adult inspect all the candy after returning home from your your trick-or-treating time. The City of Finley's trick-or-treat is on Saturday from 5 to 7, and you can see a list of other area communities and their trick-or-treat times on the website. Finley High School was placed under lockdown for a little while on Wednesday. Finley City School says the lockdown was initiated after the school received what was later determined to be an unsubstantiated threat. The school district said they immediately contacted the police department to investigate. The lockdown began at around 1 p.m. and the school district says out of an abundance of caution, it lasted until dismissal at 2.40 p.m. Get more on the website. A farmer was killed in an accident in a field in Wood County. The sheriff's office says it happened in Milton Township when an unoccupied tractor was being started utilizing the battery from a pickup truck. The tractor began moving and struck the pickup, knocking over the 82-year-old farmer, who was later located by a family member who called 911. The farmer was pronounced dead at the scene. Bluffton resident Fred Steiner will be giving a presentation titled Where Bluffton's Ghosts Sleep on Sunday afternoon at the Allen County Historical Museum in Lima. Steiner will share unexplained stories about his hometown collected during a career as editor of the Bluffton News and Bluffton Icon. He says stories include a 1920 UFO, ghost sightings, and graveyard incidents, among others. He says every town has its ghost stories, and Bluffton's stories have several versions developed from oral history that he's documented over the years. Get more on the presentation on the website. 
The Ohio Turnpike's second annual Name a Snowplow contest is underway. The eight snowplow names receiving the most votes will be declared the winners, and they'll be assigned uh, snowplow trucks in service at maintenance buildings throughout the 241-mile Ohio Turnpike. Some of the winners from the contest last year were Snowforce One, Darth Blader, and Snowmore Mr. Ice Guy. We have a link on the website where you can submit your entries. I'm Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. So, of course, it is the season of ghosts and goblins, spooks and scary stories, and all of that. Speaking of scary stories, we've heard a lot in the news about everything from the prevalence of child predators to pushers targeting kids with rainbow fentanyl. It is enough to send chills down any parent's spine with trick-or-treat coming this weekend uh, here locally. Uh, we are joined by Finley Police Department Crime Prevention Officer Brian White. Some tips uh, to make sure that it is a fun and safe environment for everyone. Brian, thanks very much for dropping by. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Chris. Let's start with this rainbow fentanyl uh, sure. story. Uh, there's That has been all over the news uh, over the past couple of weeks. How serious of a problem is this really? Well, this question was recently posed to me, um, and I passed it along to our narcotics unit to find out how, if this is something that they're seeing in our area and if it's something that we should be concerned about. Yeah. Luckily, it is uh, something that we're just not seeing right now. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that will maintain uh, Yeah, knock wood consistent. that that's the case. Absolutely. I mean, it is out there. I mean, this is a real thing. I just, I, I, I wonder how much of this uh, is actually happening, how much of it is being overblown in the media because it is such a sensational story. Uh, I guess we, we have sure. to be on the lookout for it. Right? Well, yeah, absolutely. You should always be on the lookout. And we, that's what we talk about in crime prevention anyways, right? Always kind of maintaining our surroundings, paying attention to what's going on. So we should always be concerned about it. Yeah. But like you mentioned, it's one of those things where we're talking about kids. That obviously gets a lot of people concerned. Right. And we're also talking about news stories are again sensationalized. And mm-hmm. People are just sharing them, and that's how we're hearing about them. And fentanyl is such a, a scary story already. Sure. So the very idea that it might be disguised as a candy or, or candy might be laced with this uh, is really frightening because, as we know from what we've uh, talked about before and what we've heard about fentanyl, even coming into contact with it can be potentially it, deadly. Absolutely. And especially if we're talking about uh, trick-or-treat going around right. getting candy from strangers, right? Yeah. Uh, that, that is obviously a concern. Yeah. So uh, what do we need to know about uh, candy tampering in general? I mean, you know, the, the reality is this is relatively rare, but again, not completely unheard of that, absolutely and, and this is something i talk with kids about in school uh the old adage when in doubt throw it out right if mm-hmm. we're seeing something that just looks so, maybe just strange get rid of it mm-hmm. if it's something that's been tampered with if the wrapper is open get rid of it and definitely number one make sure parents are inspecting the candy before the children are yeah consuming it yeah is is it a good idea? And, and and I almost hate to to bring this up, but I guess uh, reality being what it is. Uh, again, we talked about uh, fentanyl being so dangerous uh, just to come into contact with. We're talking about uh, inspecting candy with like rubber gloves and and things like that. Well, I, mean, I, I would think you go that, that far. I, I think that'd be an extreme okay. uh, uh, response. However, again, if if someone is concerned about that, that would be a reasonable step, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but again, it's not something that we're really not seeing in our okay. area. Okay. So I wouldn't be overly concerned about it at this point. Yeah. Uh, um, and we'll be out there as well, as, as well mm-hmm. as Finley Fire and EMS, yeah. in case something were to happen. Uh, the other thing uh, that, we, that we mentioned at the at the outset, uh, obviously, stories about child predators, sure. again, can be very, very scary uh, sure. in the news. Uh, but again, you're going up to uh, the front door of houses, <laughs> people that you don't necessarily know, so always have to be at least cognizant of that in the a- back of your mind. Absolutely. It's kind of uh, uh, funny, this time of year, I go into the classroom. I talk about uh, stranger danger, mm-hmm. right? And one of the first things we talk about is, well, what are we doing at trick or treat, right? Yeah, yeah. We <laughs> and, tell our kids never talk to strangers, and then we send them up to uh, people's front porches to right. ring their doorbells, and, right. and we talk about the differences. With the differences being all the safety precautions that we take when we are out trick or treating. For mm-hmm. instance, we're going in groups; we're not by ourselves. Yeah. Uh, in general, there should be a parent there with us. As well as many other parents, right? at least one, yeah. Yeah, you know, we're not going into people's houses to get candy. We're just going up to the front porch, mm-hmm. so everything is well lit. Uh, it's within view, and we're with a group. 
And for uh, those parents, those chaperones, I mean, a little common sense goes a long way, Absolutely. as you said, with uh, only homes that are well lit and, you know, that kind of thing. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, trick or treat is not one of those things that we hear about kids being abducted. That That's not common stories that we hear about. Mm-hmm. The, the more frequent stories that we hear about is someone that's maybe hit by a car on trick-or-treat and that's that's a bigger concern really that's what i was going to say for all of the safety tips and we talk about all these scary stories that we hear on the news far more likely that uh kids will get into uh issues with respect to the regular types of safety correct problems that we see all the time correct the the national highway traffic safety administration it's a they report that children are about four times more likely to be struck on trick-or-treat that's simply because you get kids running back and forth across the street Mm -hmm. and that's why we talk about crossing at intersections park crosswalks stoplights places like that Kind of like what we talk about at back to school time, a reminder for drivers, too, that, yes, this is what kids should be doing, but we have to keep in the back of our mind if we're going to be driving that that's not always what they will be doing. Uh, Absolutely. And a lot of times with trick or treat, we're talking about kind of uh, darker hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, here in Finley, we're more five to seven, so it shouldn't be Not too dark. Quite, yeah. But still, it, it'll get pretty uh, uh, dark towards the end of the event, right? Right. A lot of times, children are wearing dark color clothing because mm-hmm. that's that's the nature of the costumes, right? Right. Yeah, uh, exactly. So we talk about visibility, wearing something that sticks out, maybe a flashing light, mm-hmm. maybe a flashlight. Yeah. Uh, So with that in mind, how can we make sure that our kids are dressing safely so that they can be seen so that they can see that kind of thing? Sure. That, that, that's a big uh, thing. Uh, Just uh, clothing, bright colors. So we're not, we're talking about neon colors like green, uh, yellow, orange, Mm -hmm. those all kind of stand out, Mm -hmm. right? Again, if we're in a group with other people that makes us stand out as well. Uh, Any kind of lights would help even uh, the sneakers that light up when they walk. Right. Those are all things that uh, we can do. Yeah. Also, when we're talking about people driving cars when they're out and about trick or treat, slow down, pay extra attention. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, usually on South Main Street, we deal with a lot of children. And again, kind of sometimes we see them darting across a four lane uh, roadway. Mm -hmm. So that's a concern for us. Officers will be out on South Main Street. Uh, kind of for two reasons, one to pass out candy and also to have the cruisers out there with the lights on flash and hopefully slowing cars down. Right. And we'll also have, uh, officers at Jefferson school and Jacob school. Um, hopefully we can get a couple more, at a couple other schools as well. Um, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned that we live, uh, in one of the outlying areas in the Hillcrest area and, uh, on a fairly busy street, we don't get as many trick or treaters because it is a busy street. More of the interior streets where there are fewer cars, mm-hmm. uh, parents will go. And that's uh, maybe a good idea too, uh, to avoid the main drags. But I know main yep. street, as yep. you mentioned, is a major draw. Yep. <laughs> we, we know that, uh, <laughs> you see kids there every year, just flooding, uh, the sidewalks. Right. But again, uh, maybe just go up one side of the street or uh, if you're going to cross, as you mentioned, uh, that's why crosswalks are. Right. Yeah. Definitely use the crosswalks, use uh, the intersections because that's where cars are slowing down and that's where they're expecting people to be. Yeah. Some uh, reminders to make sure that we uh, make that we keep trick or treat a fun and safe experience for uh, everyone involved. Uh, And like you said, everybody has a role to play, whether it's uh, parents, the trick or treaters themselves, uh, drivers, uh, all of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, Finley Police Department uh, Crime Prevention Officer Brian White with us uh, this morning. Brian, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Well, celebrating Halloween at the office may sound like a fun idea at first, but beware because it could lead to some scary legal scenarios for your company. Dr. Diane Sanchez is an HR expert and Fox News contributor. And Dr. Sanchez, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, a manager might see this as sort of an offshoot on casual Friday, maybe a way to build camaraderie, lighten things up at the office. Is that kind of the selling point or the idea behind something like an office costume contest or something like that for Halloween? Yes, yes. That is uh, a way to build camaraderie, especially in the in the remote work or hybrid. They can come into the office, and I think managers see that as a positive thing. But there is a big risk there, you say. 
Yes, yes. Uh, you know, depending on um, costumes, I mean, there's a Holocaust costume, there's Jeffrey Dahmer, there's, you know, terrorist and body shaming. And so those can really lead to if people are offended, particularly the Holocaust victim. Right. Uh, it could be somatic. Um, uh, so and Kanye West has has found that right uh, to yeah. be the case. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, seen that in the uh, in the news just recently. So does that mean uh, the better idea is just to ignore it altogether? Is it an all or nothing kind of deal, or is it possible to set some parameters? There is a way you can set the the parameters if you're going to have people dress up. You can say you know where your superheroes best superheroes costume or a Disney character. So a little bit more uh, positive if, if, if you want to do the costumes, you just need to be creative and not inappropriate. So um, I think if you've got those parameters, the other thing is I do is I have a uh, bring your animal to work and dressed in a costume. I haven't seen anything uh, negative. Uh, on that okay or um or you know bring your kids to work and have a trunk and treat um so that they can enjoy it too so yeah there's there should be uh parameters i had uh, an employee one year dress as a condom and it was not appropriate. <laughs> right. Yeah, you can see, you can see where some of those things might get you into trouble. But again, uh, people, uh, common sense isn't always common. Sometimes, as we all know, is that the only way that that these holiday observances can get you into trouble in an office setting, or are there other things that we also have to keep in mind? Um, yeah, I mean, if you if you uh, sponsor something after work and the company pays for that, that can put you at a liability. But um, I would say those are the only two dressing um, mm -hmm. inappropriately. But, you know, you could have great ideas like pumpkin carving, um, uh, decorating the office, you know, those best-themed Halloween food dish. There's a lot of things you can do that uh, create positive work environment. I would imagine that the same cautionary tales would carry through to the upcoming season as well with Thanksgiving right around the corner and especially Christmas uh, could be a minefield as well. Um, yeah, I see less and less of that during that time. It's mostly Halloween where it starts getting to be tricky. And no pun intended. Um, and is there are are there concerns? I mean, I also know that that for uh, some fundamentalist Christians uh, are are offended by the idea of observing Halloween at all. Is that something that uh, you have to be uh, cognizant of or be aware of? If there is someone who might take offense at the whole idea of Halloween to begin with, yes, absolutely, and they may ask for the day off because they don't want to come in to the work environment. So there are religious um, entities that don't recognize Halloween yeah. as a positive. Uh, but yeah, so you, you could give them the day off if you're going to do those kinds of things. Dressing and, up. Yeah, and, and again, that's one of the reasons I bring up uh, Christmas as well, as we know, uh, that is a, a religious holiday. And one of the reasons why I think Halloween, uh, in the minds of many, is uh, sort of you know one of those things that, on the surface, you think, how can this get me into trouble? Because it's not a uh, religious holiday in the traditional sense of the word, uh, whereas uh, you look at Christmas as being a uh, religiously based holiday, um, you know the some of the uh, potential pitfalls there are, uh, are maybe more obvious. Yeah, so that's why we call it holiday uh, holidays instead of you know Christmas, right? Um, because you do have the the Jewish faith mm -hmm. that um, you know doesn't doesn't celebrate it. Uh, their big time is Hanukkah. And so, yeah, you, you have to be cautious uh, in this day and age. I think we've become more sensitive than we used to be. 
And so the bottom line before you uh, decide on whatever way you're going to observe any of these holidays, not a bad way to, as you said, you know, build camaraderie and, and uh, uh, get everybody in the office involved, especially in this post-pandemic uh, environment where we want to kind of build uh, personal uh, relationships and, and bond in the office. Not a bad way to do that, but you really have to uh, sit down and think seriously through all of the possibilities. Yes, absolutely. You've got to, you can be creative, but you have to be uh, sensitive and not inappropriate. A lot there to think about uh, before you uh, turn everything uh, loose for a celebration in the office, either for Halloween or the upcoming uh, holiday season. Dr. Diane Ch- Sanchez, again, HR expert, Fox News contributor with us this morning. Dr. Sanchez, thanks very much for the insight. We appreciate it. Well, thank you for, for letting me participate. Well, now to our Throwback Thursday segment this morning. American history and geography are naturally fascinating subjects, at least to me anyway. I think to most people, it's like kind of an interesting topic. Who doesn't love to learn the history behind America's most interesting places? But these are the stories that aren't told in the textbooks or the travel guides. Colin Dickey is the author of Ghostland, an American History in Haunted Places, what are essentially ghost stories in a historical context. And back in October of 2016, we spoke to him about the book. It is today's Throwback Thursday. What got you interested in this particular field of history? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in San Jose, California, which maybe some of your listeners know is home to the Winchester Mystery House, this famously haunted house. It was built by the daughter-in-law, the guy who founded the Winchester Rifle Company, and she became cursed that her, or she became convinced that her family was cursed by, by this rifle and anybody who'd ever been killed by it. And she built this, this house that almost, you know, according to legend, is she built it to be a sort of labyrinth to keep ghosts at bay. And so, you know, it's it's a 160 room Victorian mansion. It just goes on for ever and it sort of you know has no real rhyme or reason it kind of sprawls in every direction and i you know i i grew up next to it i always loved it i always loved just sort of imagining that that you know that story and this this person who'd built this such a strange place and i really wanted to figure out you know yeah like why why are some places you know thought to be haunted and you know why why are some buildings so you know uh and- so famous for their their strange stories and and it kind of led me to kind of try and understand a little bit more about you know our you know America's relationship to its to its own ghosts, I guess. And why are we so drawn to these kind of stories? I mean, you know, what I found again and again is in a lot of places, uh, you know, the ghost stories are, are a really great way for us to to engage with, you know, with architecture, with the buildings that we spend all our time in. So, you know, you think about, you know, an old house that maybe just, you know, it feels a little bit off. Maybe the, you know, maybe it's a little drafty. <laughs> maybe the, the, the floors are a bit uneven, but not so much that you notice. And it kind of kind of leaves you with that kind of unsettling feeling, even if you can't quite put a name to it. And so, yeah. you know, so maybe, maybe you kind of fall back on the language of, you know, well, maybe that was a ghost I saw, you know, I mean, so it becomes a way for us to kind of negotiate these kind of weird spaces that that we we spend so much of our time in. And maybe that we fully don't understand on a cognizant level. When you look at, and and the book has uh, stories from all over the country, some uh, may be uh, somewhat familiar, might be something that uh, folks have have heard before, but there will be an awful lot of uh, stories in here that... uh, people will find that are are new do you find that there are certain underlying qualities that are consistent uh, kind of across the board you know, I certainly found uh, different themes that would show up, you know, in, in unexpected places. And, and uh, you know, there the the Winchester Mystery House. You know, here's a here's a woman who lived alone, who didn't remarry after her husband's death. You have the the idea of the spinster, the kind of Miss Havisham character from Great Expectations. I found that in in a couple places. You know, women who who live alone in weird houses tend to be uh, associated <laughs> with ghost stories uh, sooner or later. So that's a thing I found. Uh, you know, I found places like, uh, you know, haunted asylums and, and, and haunted mental hospitals and haunted mm-hmm. prisons that, that pop up all around the country and have some of the same kind of linking 
uh, stories associated with them. So, yeah, you, you do find a couple themes that run through the country. And one of the things that I think is interesting, you point out that through these ghost stories, we can confront some of the cultural and societal shortcomings of our past, those who were marginalized or disenfranchised or discriminated against decades ago. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the one of the most kind of commonly told ghost stories in you know in horror movies and stuff. It's almost a cliche. You probably heard it. The idea of the the Indian burial ground, right? You know, mm-hmm. here is the the happy suburban Work. family who buys the home and they put down all their hard earned savings and they they uh, they get their dream house and it's the American dream come true. And the oh no no, it turns out to be haunted and it's haunted because it's built on an Indian burial ground. And you know, I mean, that story. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as you dive into it, I mean, what what for me Work. and you you know, I guess I'm, I'm speaking as a, you know, as, as a white American here. I mean, what that story sort of taps into for us is this idea that, you know, maybe we don't actually own the land that we we've paid money for. You know, maybe there is a there is an there's an earlier group of people who have a uh, a more prior and more primal sort of stake to that land that, you know, and so so that 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 ghost story about the Indian burial ground becomes a way for us to kind of, you know, kind of face that anxiety without maybe necessarily sort of, you know, addressing it head on. It kind of becomes a kind of oblique way to approach it in some way. Or the haunted asylum story that you were talking about that, that again, seems very common uh, across the country. We have one of them uh, here uh, right up the road in uh, in Wood County that, uh, you know, stories say is, uh, is haunted. And it kind of reminds us that there were, you know, those were the outcasts of society that were uh, not treated well. Right, exactly, and yeah, and one of the one of the haunted asylums I looked at was in was in Athens, Ohio, and, mm-hmm. and there's a there's a story of a of a woman who was uh, hospitalized there, and she went missing one night, and uh, and and they they didn't find her her body for over a month later, which sort of gives you a sense of you know how badly things were maybe being you know mm-hmm. mismanaged or 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 maybe even just you know how large that facility was and how little of a sense that the the uh, employees had of of the depths of that building but you know but this actually turns out one of the, the the few very true stories in the book is when they found her body um you know on the on a, in an attic concrete floor and they they removed her body she had left behind a stain on the on the concrete floor in the shape of in, in the outline of her body and that that's still there today and you know forensic oh. scientists have tried to understand exactly how that got there but you know so it's so it's on the one hand it's you know it's a it's a sort of you know that story about chemical chemical decomposition, but on the other hand, it is a kind of an indictment towards a, a sort of mental health situation that maybe had gotten out of hand, and, you know, she yeah. kind of leaves behind that. You, you said you grew up uh, next to the Winchester Mansion? Uh, yeah, pretty is close, it, just down the road, yeah. So the, I guess that brings the, the question, because I don't know that, I mean, that would be creepy to me, uh, but <laughs> you said it, it fascinated you. So do you believe in haunted places? Do you believe that there is something paranormal going on here? Or uh, are you one of those who believes that there is a reasonable explanation for everything? You know, I'm probably... I, you know, I, I through researching this, I came to believe that, that I'm probably in the vast majority of us who who are somewhere in the middle. You know, I think most of us are not, you know, diehard believers, and most of us are not diehard skeptics. You know, I, I met a lot of people who who would say, you know, well, I'm an atheist, but I, I certainly have seen a ghost. You know, I've, I've met other people who believe in ghosts, but would find a way to disprove everything that they had possibly seen. And you know, I think most of us are, you know, we're we're somewhere in the middle. And I, I through the researching of this book, I certainly. Uh, uh, saw some things that I didn't have a ready explanation for, but maybe mm-hmm. I wasn't quite ready to so, uh, to to call them, you know, evidence of the paranormal. So, in other words, there are haunted places, but maybe not as many as what some people think there are. Is right. Kind of what, oh, so, we, yeah, or, or or maybe those haunted places are, are are occasions for us to sort of you know understand a little bit more about ourselves and our our history rather than well, uh, you know uh, violation of the known laws of space and time. <laughs> and that's what I was going to ask. I mean, what uh, to you then constitutes a haunted place? 
Uh, you know, I, the, the, what I sort of came to find over and over again is a, is a haunted place is usually a place that is, you know, historically unsettled in some way. Maybe there's some sort of latent anxiety or, or injustice or trauma that hasn't been resolved. And it's also sort of architecturally strange. You know, it's sort of built funny or, you know, has evolved in a funny way. Maybe it's, you know, aesthetically fallen from fashion but still sort of, you know, hangs out, you know. Uh, and, and, and those two kind of facets kind of come together and, and, and form, I think, in a lot of cases, you know, the kind of textbook haunted place. And through it all, they're just really creepy, fun stories that we just can't seem to get enough of. Exactly, right. Yeah, the, <laughs> the stories are great, no matter what you believe. Again, from October of 2016, our conversation with Colin Dickey about his book, Ghostland, an American history in haunted places, perfect for Halloween. On this Throwback Thursday, we've got a link up where you can read an excerpt from the book at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Here is how not to handle a workplace dispute. I think we mentioned earlier it is Cranky Coworkers Day. This <laughs> would certainly qualify. How not to handle a workplace dispute. A Dollar General employee in Florida is accused of trying to poison his co-worker. <laughs> Police say they were called to the store in Deland, uh, Florida, north of Orlando, on Monday to investigate. One of the workers said that they left their soda unattended uh, while he went to the bathroom. Okay? Had, to, had to use the facilities. And when he came back, his drink smelled like bleach. Is a very distinct aroma. Uh, aroma. Uh, Jerome Ellis is uh, facing charges after he was caught on camera pouring bleach into the drink and then spitting into it for good measure. That's nice. <laughs> uh, Mr. Ellis admitted the crime. Apparently, uh, he tried to be sly about it, but only after he poured the bleach into his co-worker's drink, he realized that... <laughs> That there were security cameras, and so he dis- he tried to disable the security cameras. When that didn't work, he initially tried to explain away the uh, whole thing as just an innocent mistake, but imen- eventually admitted that, yes, he did deliberately try to poison his co-worker, and he explained by saying that the other guy was being difficult to work with. Well, yeah, okay, I was trying to poison him, but he was being very difficult to work with. (laughs) I think we all know somebody like that, but uh, not the way (laughs) to handle a workplace dispute. Okay. Elsewhere in the broken news this morning, a class action lawsuit has been filed against two marijuana companies uh for allegedly not getting consumers high enough <laughs> uh see this is what happens when you legalize marijuana you open up this whole pandora's box of possibilities here a lawsuit filed against dreamfields brands and med for america inc the suit alleging that uh the uh the companies advertise much higher THC levels than they their products actually contain. The uh, suit, I don't know whether, oh, here it is, in California. This suit uh, was because marijuana was legalized in California uh, not, recent, not all that long ago, just recently here. And uh, you know how sue-happy people in California can be and all of that. The suit alleges that the company's mislabeled packaging violated multiple California consumer laws and regulations set by the state's Department of Cannabis Control. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. The cannabis growers are now saying, you know, this was just easier when it was still illegal. Nobody complained. (laughs) He sued because their weed doesn't make people high enough. Now I've seen it all. 
you know, the uh, during uh, natural disasters like hurricanes and uh, things like that, they have something called the Waffle House Index, or how uh, how d- heavy the damage is in a particular region, uh, based on and it's you know hurricanes, massive tornadoes, you know those kind of things. If the Waffle House closes, you know that it is that that things are bad. Well, check this out. In Georgetown, Kentucky, a pickup truck parked at a Waffle House rolled out of gear and right through the front of the restaurant. The owners of the truck were eating inside when the crash happened yesterday. No one was hurt, but the cab of the truck was all the way into the restaurant and did substantial damage. So much damage, in fact, that a structural assessment is underway, and until repairs are made, the Waffle House is closed. So you know this was a serious accident. The Waffle House closed. <laughs> I just, I saw that story, and I thought that's uh, kind of unique that it was a, a Waffle House that is closed. Really caught my attention there. A couple of other items in the uh, broken news this morning. A former police officer, now former police officer in Connecticut, has lost his job and lost his certification to work in law enforcement anywhere, all because he lied about how the computer in his cruiser was broken. Now, cops these days, they have computers in their cars. And uh, Officer Austin Harris from Old Saybrook, Connecticut told his supervisor last December that the computer was damaged when he had to slam on the brakes to avoid hitting some wildlife in the road. Turns out, that's not what happened. Apparently, what Officer Harris forgot about was that there was a dash camera in the cruiser, and video showed that he was actually parked and listening to music And broke the computer while he was drumming with his baton. (laughs) He was doing a little air drumming in his cruiser with his baton and smashed his computer. Once, now former Officer Harris was confronted uh, with his lies. He was suspended in early January and has now been uh, fired and his certification to work in law enforcement has been revoked and he's got to find another career. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, if he'd have fessed up, he would have been in trouble, but at least he probably would have been, able, if not kept his job, he would have been able to get another law enforcement job, but you lie, you make your bed. That's And finally, in the (laughs) broken news this morning, uh, a a gentleman in the United Kingdom by the name of Steve Andrews has this hobby where he is a metal detector and he uh, helps people find uh, long lost uh, rings, jewelry and and so on. So Steve Andrews, uh, this is what he's doing. He uh, found a long lost wedding band uh, on St. Aubin's Beach back in September using his metal detector. But the owner of the ring (laughs) turns out was not all that happy about it. Uh, Mr. Andrews found the wedding band at St. Aubin's Beach in September, posted a photo of the ring uh, in a Facebook group where it began to gain traction. And then he says he received a surprising message. The owner of the ring... Turns out, had chucked it into the ocean after a nasty divorce (laughs) and didn't want it back. (laughs) He said, do me a favor, go and throw it back into the ocean. Uh, Mr. Andrews promised to return the band back to the sea the next time he's there. He said, most of the time, people are happy to to retrieve their lost valuables, but not in this case. I threw it in the ocean for a reason. I wanted to stay there. There you go. Uh, That is today's broken news report. Uh, This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less.
of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. It's the radio broadcast that panicked America. From October of 1938, WFIN is pleased to present War of the Worlds. As I set down these notes on paper, I'm obsessed by the thought that I may be the last living man on Earth. War of the Worlds, presented on WFIN by Pete's Auto Service. Listen Halloween afternoon at 5, and happy Halloween from 1330 WFIN. WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. A new survey suggests that how you order your steak when you are out on a date, you go to a steakhouse, go out for dinner, you order a steak, the way you order your steak can make all the difference in how that date goes from that point forward. According to this poll, uh, more than 1,000 meat eaters, obviously they didn't ask vegetarians, they didn't ask vegans, they asked meat eaters, a poll of more than 1,000 carnivores, one in three, one out of every three say that they judge a date harshly, they would judge a date harshly if they were to order their steak, well done. (laughs) So don't do that. Um, And that is not the only feeding faux pas when it comes to your meat. According to the poll, 42% say that they would look down their nose at a date if they reach for the ketchup. You order a steak and then you put ketchup on it. That is a no-no. Even more so than ordering it well done. Uh, It's about 33%. One in three say that they would judge a date harshly if they order their steak well done. 42% uh, say if they reach for the ketchup, that's a deal breaker. By the way, men and women unanimous in their disdain for that. So both guys and gals, you are being watched and judged by how you eat your steak. Uh, for the record, for, uh, 57%, according to the poll, 57% prefer their steak medium or medium rare. feel the best way to prepare it is on a grill instead of a pan oven or air fryer. And according to the poll, 70% of respondents consider themselves meat lovers. No secret that Americans love our steaks, love a good steak. 70% consider themselves meat lovers to the point that 64% said that they would request steak as their final meal. So I know we've been talking all about Halloween and all of that with the spooky holiday coming up on Monday and trick-or-treat this weekend in Findlay and so on and so forth. But November is right around the corner and the month of November is a good time to give thanks for our beautiful outdoor spaces. (laughs) Well, thank you. The Hancock Park District. I just do programs. I I (laughs) <laughs> I have a little a little part in it. So. Uh, Michelle Ruslog <laughs> is uh, here from the uh, Hancock Park <gasps> District. And uh, coming up, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, yes. what, uh, next week is the final fall float trip? Yes. So the okay. first weekend, which I believe is the 5th and the 6th, okay. is our last self-guided fall float trip. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, this year we only did select weekends. Right. And... Um, our one a couple weeks ago, it was in the 70s and beautiful. Yeah, but, absolutely gorgeous. And, and, and the last couple of years, we've been pretty lucky with the first weekend in November. It's been nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be 40 and yeah. then people little, won't sign up. nip in the air, as they say. But Right. So, of course, you have to sign up online or stop at the office, but you do need to pre-register by 1 o'clock on Friday afternoon. It's still just $10 a person, mm-hmm. but they start at 1 o'clock, and it's kind of our special float trip that you, you go upstream, come back self-guided and then it's just single kayaks and canoes are available for rental and it's double occupancy in the canoe so both you do need to sign up that just one person reserving the canoe gotcha i need both people in the canoe okay very good and and it's just two in a canoe so if you're doing something with the kids or you know or Right, something like that. Right, you'd, you'd have to do something else, right? So it's just usually, you know, it's, it's okay. usually adults and stuff that we've okay. got. So very just, good, just two. So this week, so yes, and you need to sign up by Friday for Saturday, and and Sunday. But All that's right. on the fourth. So we've got a little next, bit a, yeah, next, next week. week. So we got a little, yeah. a little bit of time. But just want to put that out there, and then that'll be um, we'll be taking the boats to storage and taking the docks out soon after that, and then 
looking to next Memorial weekend. Because you're going to be doing all that because it's going to get cold and... Yes, and it gonna, won't be, you know, ideal to be... Freezing over and all On of the that. water. Oh, my yes. goodness. <laughs> I know. It's kind of crazy to think about. What else is going on in the month of November? Um, well, we have our, our Little Hands Nature Club program taking place on November... Tuesday, November 8th. And it's going to be... Uh, it's entitled, Oh, Deer. So, it's all about the white-tailed deer. And so, we're going to do... Um, it's little hands-on stations, so they get to do a memory match on their life cycle. Um, one one station is called Let's Plant a Deer Picnic, so that'll be talking or sorting through, you know, what do deer eat um, with their tracks, and then, of course, having the skull and the fur and, and all that fun stuff. And so this is going to be taking place at Riverbend Recreation Area in the Meadows Activity Area there at Shelter 7 at 10 o'clock. Um, this is for kids ages 3 to 6 with an adult, but other age siblings are welcome to attend. Free, no registration necessary. So Tuesday, November 8th. Okay. And so if, now if you know Shelter 7, it's got walls, but it's not enclosed. Okay. So it's not like Shelter 3 or Shelter 2. Some of them, oh, I can get inside. So just, um, you know, just, just dress appropriately. Dress, dress weather. Right. You know, get you might get hat mittens out or, okay. you know. Very if it's good. snowing, I will. Be, oh my gosh, I don't need to know that early. But if it's cold <laughs> or whatever, I mean, rain or shine, I will. I will be there, but just again, it's not an enclosed shelter, so just want to remind people okay, of that. Very good. So just let everybody know that that will be happening. What else is going on? Um, so of course, this is the season um, that migration is happening. A lot of things are flying through. Oh yeah. And so we're going to have a couple of things happening on Sunday, November thirteenth. First, we're doing a birding the wetlands hike at nine o'clock, meeting there at the Dold uh, Dold Lake area. All ages are welcome. And so it's kind of walking through the new wetland area that we have there, Oakwood's Nature Preserve, mm -hmm. and kind of looking for um, different kinds of birds, but highlighting maybe the waterfall that should be kind of flying through. Even though it's been dry, we still have a few of our ponds that still have water. Okay. And so that's a great area for for um, waterfowl to stop over. And we typically yeah. see things that we don't see at other times of the year because, yes, because of the migration? Yes, because they're just traveling through. So mm -hmm. some things might kind of pit stop here in, you know, in the spring and then also again in the fall. Okay. And they just stop over. And a lot of the waterways is, is one of those. So like Finley Reservoirs or any of our water areas. So it's a good time to... Yes, to watch and certain things fly through at... I mean, some things start as early as August to fly back south. Mm -hmm. And so some things are still kind of at the trail end of November, okay. still kind of going through. And then we also have a waterfowl migration open house that afternoon inside of the Discovery Center from 1 until 4. And again, just kind of talking about um, what species we have here and then, yeah, who's flying through. And that's the only time of year besides spring that we do get to yeah. see them. So it does kind of give us an uptick of different bird species yeah. than our regular mallard wood duck and those common ones that that mm -hmm. live here so all the time uh and it would be the same i would imagine for like waterfowl uh and for birds and you know things like that that uh, come through yeah like warblers is a big one now this okay. time of year warblers a lot of ant birds will get into their more winter plumage so think of like goldfinch they're that bright canary yellow okay and they stay year round but they get really drab in the winter time hmm. and so they look more of like a pea green and they're not as brightly colored. They're one so that not will only, do that. So not only do you see things that you wouldn't normally see, species that you don't, don't normally right. see, you also see the stuff that we normally see, but in a different light. Right. So they do that. Everywhere. You know, like a cardinal does not, you know, um, a European starling is another one that has a winter plumage. And mm -hmm. then we also get those winter visitors. So like, um, like the juncos. We don't have them normally in the summertime, mm -hmm. but they're around all winter. We yeah. are their winter destination. Uh-huh. <laughs> And so if, you know, people starting to get their feeders around, which I know we will be doing that here soon um, at behind the Discovery Center and start our feeder watch program. Okay. So, you know, people will, will start to see that. And that's another highlight for birders, not only migrating through, but who's coming back to, for the winter to, for the winter time that we yep. get more of a, a population. Here the human form. snowbirds go to Florida yes. and sometimes the birds actually come here. Yes, so. and, and, went, and winter here. Interesting, yes. interesting. Uh, so anything else uh, to uh, highlight for the month of November? Well, we were talking about thanks and so we have our McKenna's Open House on Sunday, November 20th and it's called Family Fall Feast and so this is just them talking about, of course, harvest season would be done 
Um, they would have done some kind of gathering. Of course, Thanksgiving is not an official holiday in 1847. That's more Civil War time. Mm-hmm. But um, as with most programs out there, we're going to have some delicious food, um, fried apples and, and things. So we will have some samples if yeah. you want to stop on by. Okay. And that's going to be, of course, one to four. Just stop on by. Stay five minutes. Stay the whole time. I would imagine, like you said, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving wouldn't have been an official holiday. Right. But there is a reason why... They put Thanksgiving when they put it. So, right. It was kind of there were some right, traditions. Yes. Of, of, you know, it's end of the season. Most crops should be harvested at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they had some root crops because, again, middle, you know, end of November, you're, you're, we've already seen our first freeze and frost, which right. is, I think, a little early, typically for mm-hmm. us. But, right. Everything should be put by and everything is getting ready for winter. So, not just your food, but do you have, you know, your building's ready, the yeah. animal, you know, everything's kind of enough wood chopped. Everything's mm-hmm. getting ready for, yeah, for that so, winter season. And it's kind of a break because you are, yeah, think well, of, you know, the crops, the wheat, mm-hmm. all of your, you know, your apple crop would be ready. Mm-hmm. All that work that would be taking place. And now you can take a break and go, yeah, look at all the harvest and the them. Exactly. And, and I was uh, yeah. just thinking, and I guess I've never really thought about this uh, before. It would be sort of one last blast before the winter when things would get a little bit lean. I mean, well, you would have, would I have mean, be... you would be storing things. So they would have salted and pickled and dried, mm-hmm. but it also, right. They might gather together with friends because again, think about it, you know, once it starts snowing, this they're, they're walking or yeah. horse and, not, not even a horse and buggy, but like cart, you know, mm-hmm. cart and stuff like that. So right. it might be something where they would have. And you would be sustaining yourself on whatever it is that you stored up during the growing season and right. in the fall right and and, and that's why you know it, it would be hard to imagine not knowing when that first frost is coming right because again a lot of the or root crops exactly in, when spring was coming right you so. know those root crops are underground and they're safe but if you've got stuff that's still sitting out mm-hmm. um you know that frost yeah. comes and kills everything it's it could Fast be devastating for right for a family so and, and that was a reason too like the children We've been doing some school programs um, about children going to school. They didn't go to school during harvest time. It was so important for everybody to be home. Right. And then once winter came, then everybody could go back to school. Interesting stuff. So a lot of uh, great programming in the month of November with the Hancock Park District. We've got a link up on our webpage for more information about all of it. And uh, Michelle Rimshaw, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. So head on over to goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, we'll get a complete preview of the high school football playoffs, other collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen, and more. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.